Calm down, everyone. No one's canceling any mail. <laughs> oh, yes, I am. Well, what about your bills? The bank can pay them. The bank? Mm. And then, well, what about your cards and letters? Email, telephones, fax machines, FedEx, Telex, telegrams, holograms. All right, it's true. Of course nobody needs mail. Well, you, well, you think you're so clever figuring that one out? But you don't know the half of what goes on here. So just walk away, Kramer. I beg of you. But I don't want to be a secondary character. <laughs> Hello. Hello. And welcome to this week's episode of But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character. Every week we take a random Seinfeld episode and examine the secondary characters from it. I'm one of your hosts, Stephen. And I'm the other host, Ivan. And this week we're going to season nine, a lesser known episode, I'd say, uh, The Junk Mail. That's right. Episode five of season nine. And uh, one I think we mentioned last week, Steve, that it's one that we don't really remember too much. And uh, I kind of forgot what happened in it. But this was the one where uh, they all found, um, well, George and Jerry and a few others found found uh, Frank and Estelle having sex in the back of the van. I didn't realise it was this episode. Yeah, I remembered a few different bits and pieces from the episode before watching it, but uh, I couldn't piece it all together. I just, the only thing I really remember clearly was that Kramer rallied uh, against, or sorry, railed, I should say, against the uh, US Postal Office to stop getting junk mail. And there's a couple of nice scenes with Newman in there as well. Yeah, the famous wedding scene uh, is in this, and that's been turned into a bit of a meme, which is uh, pretty funny. Oh, yeah, the one where he's sweating in the on the counter, yeah. Yeah, it's used in memes, you know, where describing a situation where you're nervous or you've got to explain your way out of a situation or something, and then it's got the shot of him looking sweaty and nervous and trying to keep it together. <laughs> the close-up, yeah, yeah. And you can listen to this podcast on any Apple service and on our new website, bidwabask.podbean.com. And uh, you can find us on social media at bidwabask if you want to give your tips or if you have any junk mail stories or anything like that. We'd love to hear them. That's right. Uh, and if you want to email us, you can bidwabaskpodcast at gmail.com. And finally, if you want to support us and get some extra content, you can head over to our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash B-I-D-W-B-A-S-C. Between now and June 1st this year, uh, our Patreon is free to new subscribers. So you receive all of the content that we've done over the last year and a half, maybe even two years. Yeah, you won't be charged until uh, June 1st. You can get access to Season 2 of Curbcast. We've just finished releasing Season 1 on our normal feed. Uh, so if you want the next season, you'll have to go to Patreon. And just, again, after June 1st, you will be charged for uh, whatever tier you sign up for. And we have a few other bonus episodes of things coming up as well. Yeah, that's right. So next week we're doing a review of the uh, forthcoming Jerry Seinfeld comedy special for Netflix, 23 Hours to Kill. Uh, and we'll be doing some movie reviews. And uh, we're about halfway through writing season 11 of fictional uh, season 11 of Seinfeld and that will be coming out sort of late May early June depending on uh, when we have the opportunity to record in person again depending on uh, how the restrictions and quarantine uh, goes over the next week or two absolutely yeah hopefully we can get in the studio and we can uh, have fun with those they're always fun recording yeah we were going to start recording them around now or maybe next week but we figured because they're sort of a fictionalized episode of Seinfeld we wanted to record them in the studio so that the audio quality was a bit better so uh, we'll We'll, we'll uh, let you know when we 
uh, actually, well, you'll be able to tell anyway because we won't sound like we're on Skype, but we'll let you know uh, when they're being released uh, throughout the month of May. Absolutely. So, yeah, patreon.com forward slash B-I-D-W-B-A-S-C. Now, Stephen, let's kick on with the show. Some Seinfeld-isms, buddy. That is the intersection of Seinfeld and reality. And, of course, I never have any Seinfeld-isms, so none for me. But uh, you have three this week. Yeah, so for the last two weeks, it's been dry for both of us. But uh, I've come through with the goods this week, or life has come through with the goods this week and provided me with three Seinfeldisms. The first being uh, I was on a Zoom call. Well, my partner was on a Zoom call with her friend who lives in New York. And uh, I popped into the room just to say hello. And she was talking about some leftovers that she had. And it was the leftovers in the foil were shaped like the swan, just like the lobster bisque. And I can't remember what the episode is, but it might be the yada yada. I can't remember. But there's an episode of Seinfeld where I think Elaine brings over leftovers and it's in the in the foil. You know how they shape it like a swan? Mm, yeah, I do remember the false one. Yeah, I think it might have been an episode either, yeah, probably one that we've done or maybe one we haven't done. I'm not sure. But yeah, no, I, do, I do recall that. Yeah, not- yeah. And then Jerry, and I think Jerry's clawing away at it. He's loving it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can't remember the episode. I just remember the scene. Uh, normally, I wouldn't have included it as a Seinfeldism because that's not, you know, super related to Seinfeld. But because the fact that it was a friend who lives in New York and is a massive Seinfeld fan, that got it over the line. Nice. Very good. Uh, second uh, Seinfeldism for me this week, I was listening to a podcast called Margaret Moves to Mars. It's a fictional comedy podcast uh, put out by a few comedians here in Melbourne, actually. It's really good. Uh, and it's about a woman who uh, leaves a bad relationship and is sort of trying to get her life together and take the next step. So she moves to Mars, it's set in the future. And uh, yeah, it's a really good series, really, really good. And one episode that I've listened to, the pilot, there's a little sort of almost like a little surreal cutscene, like an audio cutscene where it talks uh, about, uh, you know, the reality of Mars. And in that little side scene, there's a, uh, a little Jerry Seinfeld stand up impression. It's just someone doing the typical, you know, like, what's the deal with living on Mars? Mars, blah 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 blah. Nice. Yeah. Good. Actually, I've so, seen that on Apple yes. Podcasts. I, th- I think it's a pretty. You said it's a pretty new series, right? Uh yeah. I think it started maybe two or three weeks ago. Okay. I I actually came across it. Another podcast I listened to uh, featured it um, as like a must be like a cross promotional thing or something. Um, so I thought I'd give it a listen because I really like the podcast that promoted it. And uh, yeah, it's really really good. Oh, nice man. And what's the final one? The final one on Saturday. I left my suburb, uh, which feels very exciting. I kind of feel like I visited another city and I was in uh, Fitzroy uh, here in Melbourne and uh, someone walked past with a hat and it was a hat for like a trucker's hat for a bait and tackle shop somewhere in Melbourne, I guess, or somewhere. Mm. Uh, and it was just like, you know, Jim's bait and tackle or something like that. But the logo was a ripoff of the Seinfeld logo. So I thought that was pretty cool too. Oh, the same font and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it had the, the yellow circle, the red font, but it was just like, you know, Michael's bait and tackle or something like that. Uh, I didn't I didn't research where it was or whether it's in Australia or it might even just be like a joke hat. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, very a Seinfeld ripoff. I wonder what Netflix or Sony or whoever holds the rights these days have to say about it if they find out about that hat. <laughs> You're not supposed to use I that I don't logo. really care. There's, nah. oh, there's, so, there's so much. I mean, you just go on Instagram, you know, if you just search the Seinfeld hashtag or on Facebook or just do a Google, ter- Google search for like Seinfeld t-shirts and there's so many unlicensed, unofficial Seinfeld merch out there. So I don't think it really matters these days. Fair call. Cool. <laughs> 
Now, Seinfeld News, buddy, how many articles do you have this week? Uh, three again. First bit of news is that Jerry Seinfeld turned 66 through the week on April 29. So happy birthday to Jerry. And that's the same birthday as me too. I was born on April 29 as well. So it's always a good that's double true. celebration for me. That's true. Happy birthday to yourself as well, Ivan. Thanks, man. Unfortunately, some sad news next. An actor by the name of Sam Lloyd, who was best known for acting in Scrubs, passed away at 56. Uh, he was battling cancer and he sadly lost that battle. He was also known for playing uh, Ricky in Seinfeld. So he was the very obsessed Elaine fanatic, I guess you'd call him. His best known appearance in Seinfeld is in the Cigar Store Indian, where he meets Elaine on the train and creeps her out talking about the TV guide. And then he turns up to Frank and Estelle's house in Queens uh, with a bouquet made out of Frank's TV guide. <laughs> That's right. Come on, Elaine. We're leaving. We're leaving. Elaine, you're looking scrumptious. <laughs> looking scrumptious, yeah. That was a fantastic portrayal. And also, he was in a cameo. He was in the final scene of the episode The Pie, I think from season five as well. And he is the one that actually designed the Elaine mannequin in that episode. Yeah, all through that episode, you're wondering, where are these mannequins coming from? And then it just sort of cuts to, I think it's the final scene, isn't it? Yeah, it's like so, yeah, when the, the credits... The credits are about to roll. Yeah. Roll. Yeah, and you see him in his like design studio making a mannequin and it's modelled after Elaine and the mystery solved. That's right. I love how they brought him back for that one scene, just to, you know, bring everything around. But yeah, Sam Lloyd, yeah, rest in peace. Yeah, obviously his biggest role was in Scrubs, but he has been in many other shows and uh, films as well. And uh, yeah, it was a very, very sad uh, battle that he had with cancer. So uh, another another Seinfeld alumni that lost their lives over the last few weeks. It's uh, quite sad. Yeah, there's been a few more than normal lately, which is really sad. So it seems to be more deaths the normal lately in sort of entertainment, um, some due to COVID-19, but others due to, uh, you know, just normal other ways to pass away. Yeah, but it seems to be happening more frequently, which is is unfortunate. Very sad and very unfortunate. Yeah. So rest in peace, Sam Lloyd. Indeed. To end Seinfeld News, a bit of a, an upbeat piece. So uh, it's been announced that on Saturday, May the 8th, on Instagram, Jason Alexander and Julie Louis-Dreyfus will appear on an Instagram live video. Uh, and during that session, they'll be uh, doing like a fan Q&A. They'll just be chatting about probably Seinfeld and uh, their careers individually. And that's to raise money for an organization called Direct Relief. Uh, and that goes to uh, front line medical workers. Uh, as of recording, they've raised about $53,000 US through their GoFundMe. And we're about five or six days away from that happening again, again, this May 8th uh, on Instagram live at 6pm uh, EST. So uh, you'll probably need to do a bit of tiny bit of uh, time maths to figure out when that uh, is happening uh, in your time zone. Uh, and no doubt they'll raise a whole lot more money uh, beyond the 53 grand uh, after that happens in between now and Saturday too, which is awesome. Yeah, I think so too. They're, they're doing pretty well because JLD, I think she's already interviewed a few other comedians and get a star she's been on other shows with already. So I think if you go to her Instagram, you'll be able to find all those videos. Yeah, every week she's doing like a, a, an Instagram live session with like a lot of her former colleagues, um, some as recently is Veep and they're just sort of talking about the show and I think they're just doing Q&A and I think every week I'm not sure if all of the fundraising is going towards this one direct relief sort of drive or if it's just the one with JLD and Jason Alexander um, but yeah either way really really good stuff yeah absolutely so head on over we'll have links of those in the show notes and uh, you can read all about it indeed and uh, if we get a chance we'll we'll check it out maybe do a bit of debrief uh, in next week's recording and talk about what uh, what went down between JLD and JA yeah. I've just uh, I've just decided that his name's J.A. now. J.A. We'll just call him J. Yeah, so there's, well, there's J, J, J-L-D, J-S, and uh, M-R, Mr. Mr. <laughs> Mr. Richards. 
That's right, Mr. Richards. Yes. And that's all the Seinfeld news for the week. Very good, buddy. Let's take a really quick break. And uh, when we come back, I have some notes today on Jack. He's also known as The Wiz, Elaine's uh, episode boyfriend, other than Putty. Uh, Also, a few notes about Frankie, who's Sherry's friend from summer camp, as well as George's cousin, Risa. And I've got some notes on the postmaster general, Henry Atkins. Boy, what a character he was. Yeah, really uh, awesome appearance, even though he only comes in at the end, but uh, makes quite an impression. Absolutely. And they're characters from the junk mail, and we'll come back and talk about them. Hello, folks. Matt McCoy here, a.k.a. Lloyd Braun from Seinfeld. And I'm telling you right now, I do not want to be a secondary character. The Junk Mail is Season 9, Episode 5 of Seinfeld. And this episode first aired in the US on October 30th, 1997. This one was directed by Andy Ackerman and written by Spike Ferriston. In this episode, Kramer becomes annoyed at all the junk mail he gets. So he decides to stage a crusade against the post office. Uh, Jerry runs into Fragile Frankie, uh, also known as Frankie Merman. He's played by Dana Gould, a former childhood acquaintance who tries to sell Jerry a huge new van. Frank and Estelle try to find a way to spice up their love life against George's objections and Elaine dumps Putty for a guy who does TV spots for an electronic store called Nobody Beats the Wiz and his name's Jack also known as the Wiz and he's played by Toby Huss. Uh, Other secondary characters include Laurie Taylor-Williams she plays George's cousin Risa and Wilford Brimley plays the Postmaster General Henry Atkins who we talked about before the break. Yeah like I said quite an appearance and uh, quite an impression loved him. Yeah absolutely I I knew you would and I, I liked him too. Yeah and every time Wilford Brimley appears in anything it's always memorable I love him yeah he's so good I think I've seen him in a couple other things too from memory but I forgot what they are I kind of became familiar with him uh there's a really old family guy cutscene. I think it's from season two or three I can't remember how it's set up but it cuts to him and uh, he must have done some diabetes PSAs or, or ads in the in the 70s or 80s maybe he suffered from diabetes I'm not sure but in those ads he called them diabetes not diabetes diabetes (laughs) yeah and and you know a lot of people say i got the diabetes as a as a bit of a joke and i think that's the source of it but the family guy one go you know i've got diabetes i've had diabetes for 20 years the other day uh you know i hit my wife it caused me to hit my wife and then someone told me my wife's been dead for 10 years who the hell did I hit? And then it just cuts. It's just, it's it's weird, but it's it's very funny. Oh, no. Not the wife hitting. No, not the wife uh, just, just No, no. But just the diet. No, no, no. But just, just, and just the confusion, like, who the hell did I hit? <laughs> who the hell did I hit? My wife's been dead for 10 years. <laughs> yeah, I got the diabetes. I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere. Find the clip. Yeah, I, I think it is. Yeah. A bit of trivia about the episode, Steve. Speaking of Wilford Brimley, uh, his guest appearance as the Postmaster General was an homage to the actor's father, who was actually a postmaster himself. Yeah, pretty interesting stuff. So the episode contains a lot of allusions to Hamlet, mostly being the themes of madness and uh, troubled parent-child uh, relations uh, vis-a-vis George and uh, Frank and Estelle. And the final scene in the park where uh, they stumble upon Frank and Estelle making love uh, is very reminiscent of a graveyard scene in Hamlet and also Newman's line again at the very end when he says, uh, tell the world my story when he's being reprimanded by the postmaster general. It apparently echoes Hamlet's dying words to his mate Horatio. I'm not sure what he says exactly, but I imagine it's something very similar. Very similar. Maybe Spike was, uh, he saw a performance of Hamlet or something and it inspired him to write it in. Yeah, yeah. It seems, it seems very deliberate. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe he's a Shakespeare fan. 
Yeah, it could be. It could be. I don't really have any other trivia uh, other than that. This is a bit of a, a trivia light episode. For you, yes. Uh, well, I've got a bit of junk mail, <laughs> i.e. trivia facts. Um, a <laughs> couple more. So Newman, he pulls alongside Kramer and tells him that this is the way it will happen. Someone you trust will ask you to get in the car with them. And uh, this apparently, for those film buffs out there, this was a scene in the Max von Sindos scene uh, within the film Three Days of the Condor from 1975. So uh, I've never seen that film, but apparently, yeah, it's a, it's a parody of that. Okay. Okay, there you go. And uh, for those who are aware, this is the fifth time out of seven in the series where George refers to himself in the third person. Ah, okay. Hmm, yeah, there's actually on IMDb, there's actually a count of how many times he's <laughs> referred to himself in the third person. So this is the fifth episode out of seven. You get the feeling, because it's such a common trait of George's, you think that he would do it more than like more than seven episodes, but yeah. It'd probably just get a bit too old. I'm not saying that it's not enough. I'm just saying that, you know, sometimes when you think of a character, you think they would do it every sixth episode or something but oh, right. seven out of 180 odd it's not too bad i think in the it started in the jimmy from season five or six i think season six is the jimmy so i think that's when he first started doing it but then he's done it a couple of times in seasons eight and i think he does it the most times in this season actually yeah every season he does it more and more mm, yeah absolutely he just becomes madder and madder as he goes along and more insane yeah Anyway, enough trivia facts and Hamlet references, my friend. Let's get into the secondary characters. Let's first talk about Jack. He's also known as The Wiz. He's played by Toby Huss. He's had a very prolific career in television. Uh, he's voiced the character Khan in King of the Hill, and he's also lent his voice to other animated shows, such as Beavis and Butthead and Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law. He does have a good voice. He does, yeah, absolutely. And uh, he has been on TV. He's got that sparkle whenever his face turns up, just like in the episode. Ring. How good is that spark? You know, like that sparkle, that kind of, you know, that tring. Yeah, the enchanting eyes. The enchanting eyes, yeah. The power of subliminal advertising, huh? Yeah, I do actually want to talk about that when we get into his character. Absolutely. Anyway, uh, he's also appeared in TV shows Glow, Dickinson, Holton, Catchfire, and Reno 911. And uh, yeah, I guess uh, like you were saying, Stephen, um, you were going to talk about his uh, television career as The Wiz. Yeah, uh, not so much. More The first thing I wanted to, to ask or to talk about is his eyes. I couldn't figure out, he doesn't have bad eyes but you know how some people just have very very enchanting eyes whether they've been on tv or not they're just sort of they suck you in sort of thing i was thinking if he wasn't the whiz would his eyes be as enchanting or was it purely you know how jerry said elaine is just remembering him being the whiz and that's why she's so besotted with him what if his eyes if he wasn't the whiz sucked her in or what if she just looked at him and moved on well, for me, I think when Jerry shows Elaine the tape of the ad, and you notice how when the ad plays right at the end when he does this enchanted um, <laughs> enchanted look, um, it has that sound effect underneath it. Um, I think it's probably, like I mentioned before, just more about subliminal advertising. I think Elaine probably saw the eyes and then associated the, like, the chiming sound with her with the eyes. Yeah, because when, you know, Elaine sort of um, accidentally meets him at Monk's when she turns around and asks for ketchup, or it, it might be the other way around, I paused on the eye shot and I'm thinking, are his eyes that nice? Like, would have Elaine taken any more notice beyond interacting with him about the ketchup? Or, you know, would have she been interested in him if she didn't recognize him? And I don't think so. His eyes aren't that mesmerized. No, absolutely not. No, he doesn't have that kind of thing. But like I said, I think it's the way that advertising works. Elaine's probably seen that commercial so many times. And like I said, she's like some people associate certain sounds with certain visual cues as well so i think she probably got the two together and thought oh this guy's pretty handsome even though he's uh, been on tv yeah you think it would like create like a negative subliminal memory because the whiz is so annoying <laughs> yeah <laughs> he is he's such a dork isn't he i'm the whiz i'm the whiz in that walk that he does and yeah. you know here's a fact 
I'm the Wiz. Ugh, so off-putting. I'm surprised we didn't see him. Actually, I thought there was an episode called The Wiz, you know, for some reason. It must be one of those Mandela effect things, you know, where you think that there is an episode well, called The Wiz. But there's The Wizard. There's, a wiz- there's The Wizard. Yeah, but it's nothing to do with him. That's the, that's no, the no, PDA no. device. Yeah, that uh, Morty loves. Yeah, that's right. Um, But yeah, I, th- I actually thought there was an episode called The Wiz. There you go. I didn't no. know. I forgot it was the junk mail. I thought The Wiz was like, he wasn't in many scenes. Like, I thought that The Wiz would be in like several more scenes myself. Yeah, this episode was very plot dense, so there's a lot going on. So I guess I didn't have a lot of room for him, but I just found him so annoying. Yeah. Just not even when he's acting like the Wiz, but just just normally there was just nothing there. There was nothing to grab onto. There was nothing interesting about him as a character. I just found him very boring. And when he was being the Wiz on TV or in front of Elaine, just cringy. Yeah. Uh, one interesting thing was when there are monks, and you know how she's so enchanted by him. I love when he says he just says really like a really crash things like I'm gonna go to the can. You know stuff which normally if someone yeah. had a stranger you'd be like um okay you go to the, the can okay fine <laughs> whereas I think because Elaine's just so entranced by him he can say anything he wants he could say I'm going to eat my own shit and then she'll be like oh that's beautiful that's true that's true I wonder if he's aware that he has that power over people or if he's completely oblivious he seems a bit dumb yeah he's a bit dumb I think he probably thinks that he's influential but he doesn't actually have the influence he does have an influence in that people obviously find him mesmerizing at least upon initially meeting him before realizing he's the whiz but I don't think he's fully aware of it in that he can use it to like control people i think he just maybe because people are you know sort of attracted to him he thinks that it's his personality or his intelligence or his wit or his charm but it's just that people are subliminally remembering who he is on tv even jerry does yeah exactly i don't think i don't think he's aware of that you know like i think some people if they were smart enough or self-aware enough if they realized that they had that power over people they would use it to their advantage but i think he's too dense and too lacking in any self-awareness to to realize that i think he thinks that it's just this natural charm that he has yeah the only other detail that we really have about is that he in between his whiz geeks he is a fact checker at new york magazine yeah that's right so i'd imagine he probably gets what statements from what politicians have said or whatever and then probably facts checks them or any kind of myths or anything so he's probably my guess is he's probably like a failed actor or something and i think maybe he's mm-hmm. you know, tried you know he's had like a few geeks here and there and his biggest geeks probably playing the whiz and he probably thinks oh this is my big break i'm actually on tv he's probably tried so much and you know he's gone for so many auditions and um i'm guessing the fact checking job's probably something in between geeks because a lot, i know a lot of actors who work in offices or in retail or whatever and you know they might have a, a movie or a tv show or something for like three to six months to do and then they got nothing to do yep. so they'll become secretaries or yoga instructors or you know they'll do things to supplement their income in between jobs yeah no that's that's a pretty good take i think and i think he thinks that he's this big time actor because you know the whiz locally in new york or maybe even just their neighborhood the whiz was like a bit of a bit of a, a character a bit of a thing for a little while but beyond that, no one cares about the Wiz. But I think he, I think he thinks that he's bigger than he actually is. Yeah, he just it, the Wiz kind of reminds me of those late eighties, late night mascots. You know those kind of you know yeah. heads. You know, like in in Melbourne, how we have Frank Ocotzo. You know that old Italian guy yeah. who was in the eighties, and he had yeah. a, so Frank Ocotzo is an Italian guy who has a couple of furniture shops in Melbourne. But his furniture is like really old timey, daggy kind of furniture that not even my grandmother would probably have. Um, but he was in these well, it's just nineteen eighties, and I mean, there's a lot of in the morning or something. Hey, it's Frank Ocotzo. And there's been rumors for decades that it's just all a big front for international drug shipments. And when you see the furniture, you're like, maybe that could be true. (laughs) Who's buying this crap? I'm not going to say anything, but yeah, those rumors have been floating around for a long time. 
time. But no, it just it's just funny how the whiz kind of reminds me of you're stoned or you're drunk or whatever, and you're you know this is this is like 1991. Say it's like the early 90s or something or late 80s, and you're sitting back and uh, you see him on TV. You know, it's like two in the morning and you're laughing at his crown. And but it, I found it really interesting. He's called the whiz, but he wears a crown. He looks like a king more than anything. A wizards normally have those long yeah. cone hats, don't they? Uh, yeah, like I would assume a whiz is like either like a really smart person, like he's a wizard something, hmm. or yeah, or like a wizard. Not, yeah. not a not a king. I was thinking a wizard, yeah, because the wiz, uh, I don't know, it's just weird how he had like a crown. Really strange. I was going to say, like his character and his storyline throughout the episode seems really poorly written. Like one thing I didn't like, and Seinfeld normally don't do this, but it does happen in a lot of other TV shows where things happen just very conveniently. Like there's just convenient timing throughout a show. And you know, when Jerry says to George, you know, I, I'm trying to figure out uh, Elaine's new boyfriend. You know, I think he's a comedian that I work with once. And then he turns on the TV and a as soon as he turns it on, the ad is on. And then as soon as the ad's finished, Elaine comes in. I just thought from a writing point of view, that's so like, it's just too convenient that it happens so quickly. Yeah, absolutely. It is. I think it was a videotape. He had it taped, but he was trying to figure it out. But actually one, one, one goof that I noticed in the episode, do you notice when he shows George the clip of the video and then Elaine, you know, he leaves mm. and Elaine comes in. You notice that he doesn't actually rewind the tape. Like he plays it again uh, and then it mm-hmm. plays again. Yeah. And I'm like, isn't he supposed to rewind yeah. it? He didn't rewind it. <laughs> that was a bit That's of a trip too. It's probably just like a continuity error or something. But yeah, I get what you mean. It just felt like, yeah, it was, it was just really weird how, like really convenient how the ad happened to come on when Elaine came in. Yeah, I found that a bit weird too. Yeah, and if, look, even if he was searching for it on a tape, even if he thought, oh, maybe he's on an ad, like the fact that he picked the right tape and it appeared on the tape exactly when he said, who is this guy? You know, whether it was on TV or on tape, it was just convenient and it was just a bit frustrating because Seinfeld is not normally, normally it's above that like convenient placing of of events for for the plot to move forward it's 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 not usually reliant upon that mm. so it just felt poorly like it was just sort of crowbarred into the episode at the very end like his whole storyline it just yeah. it just didn't seem fleshed out or thought out or like a lot of care was taken to sort of make his storyline and make his character better yeah i mean i understand season nine's a bit of a different beast i mean you know there, there's some good season nine episodes and there's some bad you know or average season five or six episodes you know so we're not we're, mm. not, we're not taking a dig at the, at the whole season in general but yeah, I get what you mean. I mean, like the only the only subplots I really enjoyed in this episode was Kramer and George's. I didn't really like Elaine and Jerry's too much. We'll talk a bit more about that at the end when we rank the episode. But yeah. as the Wiz and as Jack, he is one of my least favorite secondary characters we've ever done. Yeah. Just annoyed the shit out of me. Yeah. I mean, he's memorable because he's so weird. It's not like he's boring, but just so off-putting, so just bleh, just didn't like him at all. Yeah, I have to agree with you. Yeah, I didn't really like him much either. Yeah, he was just very annoying and, and he just becomes like a massive nerd right at the end. Yeah, you know how like there's a lot of characters in Seinfeld where they're kind of dorky and cringy, mm. but that's what makes them memorable and that's what makes you like them as a fan. For some reason, The Wiz didn't have that that appeal. No, actually, it's good that he didn't have his own episode like I thought he did. <laughs> yeah. Those yeah, that was in the junk mail and that's it. We never see him again. That would be gone. That would be too much. Elaine probably had anyway him afterwards. She's probably like, "Oh God, I'm done with him." So he goes. She goes back. To oh him. yeah, that yeah. that would have turned her off immediately. I mean, she she wouldn't. I mean, even if she liked him as a person, she's too shallow to go out with someone who parades around with a with a crown and a, a staff and carries on about being the whiz. Mm-hmm. Even if he was the best 
best person otherwise she she's got too much uh personal dignity to to allow that in her life she'd rather someone like putty yeah <laughs> for sure for sure anyway enough about the whiz let's talk about uh george's cousin and uh short-term lover risa risa yes she's played by writer actress and talent manager laurie taylor williams uh, she's appeared in the tv shows law and order and just shoot me and uh, i was thinking to myself Stephen, that maybe she's always been attracted to george you know since they were growing up but i was thinking thinking maybe i don't think george and risa probably don't see each other too much i think it's she's probably like because she's i read that she's actually the cousin she's frank's she's on frank's side of the family so she's frank's niece yeah she's frank's niece because yeah because george says something about my father's brother's daughter yeah, so it's, right. she's frank's niece that's right yeah so um frank's niece i think maybe she doesn't necessarily have an attraction to george i think she probably longs for intimacy and you know she's not for whatever reason i mean she seems a bit uncouth when you know she's at the restaurant with george uh, she probably doesn't i don't know maybe she has had any intimacy for a while and she's probably trying to find any guy she can get with and she's like oh look this is my cousin but and i haven't seen him for ages so i don't really know him too much you know i'm not really associated with him maybe i'll just give it a go i would disagree slightly in that she's just sort of after any guy i don't think she's desperate I think she's bored, just totally bored with life in general. Because when when George is talking to her and, you know, says you're very attractive before he proposes that they get together, she just seems completely disinterested in life. She's just like, yeah, okay, cool. Like, she's just very, like, blasé about everything. And I think for her, hooking up with your cousin is a bit of a rush to alleviate some of that boredom. I think she's just, you know, maybe something happened to her and she's just lost the spark for life. But she's just looking for something to excite her. And, you know, being in a relationship with your cousin is pretty taboo oh, and therefore taboo. potentially very, very exciting, you know, because it's, it's risky. I'm surprised that subplot passed the senses the network i thought that was like even these days it's a bit taboo i mean it's not like second or third cousin this is like george's first cousin i think the reason it got through is because george isn't keen he's trying to push her push her away if george was playing along with it i don't think it would have passed but because it was one-sided and it never actually nothing ever actually happened like it never actually turned into any sort of relationship even for you know a day so i think i think that's what because it was one-sided and it was never acted on i think that's what got it through but just the idea of it is very is very taboo and of course for george he tries to use it as a way to get back at his parents so his parents reunite with him but just like many other of his other ideas they backfire yeah but it actually it's one of the rare times where george realizes hang on this didn't go as I suspected. I thought she would be turned off and she would be disgusted and tell my parents and then that would, you know, work out in my favor. But he actually has enough forethought to realize, hang on, I've got to, even though this is not going as I planned, he could, he still could have like gone with it and it still could have like made his parents disgusted, but he has enough sense to back off and go, oh, nah, this is not a good idea. This is not going as I thought it would, which is rare for George. Normally he's not very, uh, he doesn't have a lot of insight into his own ridiculous ideas no that's true yeah so a, a, a rare display of common sense uh for george which you know i guess was interesting yeah look there's not a whole lot to work with for risa i just yeah i just got the impression that she was just really bored with life because she's just like nah let's be bad 
Like she's just so blase about everything. She's like, eh, okay, let's go for it, whatever. She wants um, to spice up, you know. But then, yeah, and I think because it is taboo and because it is risky, that made her a bit more like animated and a bit more um, excited. Because George says that she starts leaving dirty messages on his answering machine, and when they're in the van, George is uh, she's trying to be seductive. She's like, George, come back here, sort of thing. So I think it's like I think it's like giving her a bit of a spark, even though she probably doesn't even find George attractive. Just the idea of doing something. So so out of the ordinary has like given her a bit of zest for life. That's the impression that I got. But do you think that, you know, because she also witnesses Frank and Estelle going at it in the back of the van, do you think that maybe put her off her attraction to George as well? Do you think maybe like that stopped her um, stone cold dead? She's just like, oh shit. <laughs> okay. No, because she's the only one who doesn't react oh, that's true. Uh, yeah, when they're the van doors. She, she's just, water, if you look at her. Yeah, yeah. She's just looking like she knows what's going on, but she doesn't react shocked or anything. She just sort of looks at them and then swigs a drink and then the credits roll. I don't think much faces her. How do you think George got out of it? I don't know. That's a good question. I haven't actually thought about that. I think he would have just ghosted her. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. Just avoided her at all costs. Yeah, George George is not smart enough or sophisticated enough a communicator to sort of, you know, do the right thing and talk about it with her and explain, look, this was a plan and it went wrong. You've got the wrong idea. He's not emotionally mature enough or sophisticated enough as a person and as a communicator to sort of do it the right way to end it. He would just go, this is too weird and too hard. I'm just not going to return her calls and she'll eventually get the message. Yeah, fair enough. And uh, yeah, she would have gone on to her next taboo escapade. Yeah, who knows? Maybe maybe they've got a lot of cousins. <laughs> a lot of first cousins. <laughs> maybe she would have gone after um, Lloyd Braun. Oh, maybe, but they're not related. You know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, tangentially they are, in a way. You know, in a way, There's yeah. some history there. But Lloyd would have been really insane by that point. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect for each other. Perfect for her. Perfect for her, indeed. All right, let's talk about Frankie Merman. Yes, he's played by actor, producer, and writer Dana Gould. Uh, he's known for being a producer and a writer on The Simpsons, uh, most notably in the late 2000s, and he's also lent his voice in many of the episodes. As recently as 2020, actually, he was uh, a guest. I think he did, like, a couple of voices in an episode this year. I don't know which one. He's also voiced uh, Gex, the character Gex, in the PlayStation games Gex and Gex 3D Enter the Gecko, and he's appeared in the film Mystery Men. Oh, okay, cool. And he's described by Jerry as the summer version of George, because uh, the, and when him and Jerry were kids, they met at summer camp. Yeah, he's the uh, the summer George. Yes, but unlike George, uh, Frank actually has a job as a car salesman. Yeah, no, he uh, he works as a sub car salesman. <laughs> Do you know who he reminds me of going back to The Simpsons? He reminds me of Gil. You know, he seems like he's really desperate. <laughs> yeah. For and he'll do anything. He'll even he, he'll even sell a van to his best friend, his childhood friend, just to get a commission. He just seems pretty. He just seems like down and out. You know, he just needs that one more commission so he can keep his job. Yeah, he seems very insecure as well, and not very sure of himself. You know, and anytime anything goes wrong, it's a big disaster rather than just a little bump in the road. Because in the episode before, Kramer fills Jerry's car with blood. <laughs> That's why Jerry has got to get a new car. But it's interesting how it's actually an arc in season nine because we did the dealership a few weeks ago, and that's where Jerry tries to get a Saab as well. So he's been trying to get this Saab for like the several episodes in episode nine or season nine. Yeah, it shouldn't be that hard. Yeah, but it's just so complicated. Things happen. Yeah, yeah. A lot of challenges. Frankie, like the Wiz, really annoyed me for some reason. Just didn't like his secondary character. He was okay. I mean, he's obviously doesn't, he's got really poor coping mechanisms and I don't think he's good at conflict resolution because Jerry, you know, when things 
go wrong. He just runs into the woods or the park and he digs a hole and hides in there. And he's been doing that since summer camp. So obviously he doesn't really have the skills to handle resolutions or resolve a conflict. Yeah, I don't think he just handles rejection in any form. And I think it, it obviously stems from some childhood trauma. Maybe he was abandoned by his parents um, or never sort of encouraged or anything like that. But just any sort of rejection or any sort of uh, challenge, whether it's big or small, rather than just sort of face it and, and deal with it and accept it, he, he literally runs away. Yeah, because Jerry says he's going to get rid of the van and then Frankie's, you know, gets upset and Jerry doesn't want to hurt his feelings. Yeah, and I mean, it's okay to have your feelings hurt, but you don't run into the into Central Park and, and dig a hole in the woods, you know? Yeah. What I found really interesting is that Jerry, Frankie seems to be one of the only few characters in the show where Jerry actually cares about their feelings. Yeah, that's true. That's true, actually. I never, never picked up on that. But yeah, he's actually concerned and he actually like changes his behavior and he goes out of his way to uh, prevent his feelings being hurt, which is a rare form of, I guess, humanity from Jerry. Yeah, I'm just really surprised because it's, it's it's a character we only see once in this episode. We don't see them ever again or we didn't see them before. But uh, I don't know, maybe because I don't know, maybe because he's well, Jerry keeps saying he's very similar to George, um, you know, down and out loser. <laughs> You know, but unlike George, he's not a pathological liar. I think he seems pretty honest. And I think there's some things that he is the opposite of George at. But yeah, I'm just really surprised that Jerry really doesn't want to hurt his feelings. Like, because the only, the only real consequence is that Frankie will just go into the Central Park and dig a hole and hide in it. I mean, it's not a major thing. He won't threaten to do anything really nasty or, or dangerous, you know? Yeah, I'm going to guess that maybe, because even though Jerry and George are childhood friends and, and, you know, they have a close relationship and they share basically everything with it, with with each other on a fundamental level jerry does not respect george he sees him as a joke of course yeah. uh, and he probably sees yeah. their friendship as a joke you know like he 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 likes his company but he doesn't have any respect for him maybe with frankie even though frankie isn't a i guess emotionally mature person i think it's fair to say mm. maybe their childhood was one where they shared a lot of important experiences as kids and there's there's a bit more of like a uh, like an emotional connection there even though they're not close as adults their history is a bit more emotionally complicated and that's why he actually cares about his feelings whereas george you know they're they're sort of inseparable but jerry doesn't actually care about his well-being yeah of course now because um frankie does say that uh, when they were kids you know we they used to talk about driving away in a van and traveling around america and stuff and then jerry's like we were 10 so obviously they do yeah i, I think stories jerry, and scenarios yeah i just think their childhood relationship was a bit more like emotionally connected there was actually uh some love there you know rather than just Ah, uh, this person's okay. I'll let him hang around, like Jerry and George. Lucky Frankie wasn't in George's situation. Otherwise, the whole of Seinfeld would be boring. It'd be like another sitcom. People learning and you know nurturing each other, Jerry and Frankie, and they learn from each other and become better people. So in a way, it's better that George is the winter one and Frankie's the summer one. If it was the winter of George, it wouldn't have been any good. No, absolutely not. <laughs> the summer of Frankie. That's it. Yeah, that's that's the summer that I don't want to have again. Absolutely. Yeah, but I, I like the Gill comparison. Yeah, I no, think that's very apt. And it's ironic because yeah. he was a writer on The Simpsons. So, you know, kind of, it's ironic. It's like pre-Gill. Yeah, for sure. Maybe maybe that was, uh, well, Gill's actually based on Jack Lemmon. Yeah, like maybe maybe there was some like subconscious uh, influence there. Maybe. Uh, do you have any notes about any of the other secondaries? Uh, I guess we'll just talk a little bit about our favorite secondary for today, uh, Postmaster General Henry Atkins. And I had to Google it because I thought he was the real Postmaster General. I thought he was in a cameo or something. But no, he was actually an actor. Uh, his name is Wilford Brimley, and he's been in the films Cocoon, Natural, Hard Target, and The Thing. And uh, yeah, I really liked Henry Atkins. I thought he was great. Yeah, no, really, really good. Really um, like authoritative and 
just memorable. Yeah, very militant as well. And it's funny because his name is Postmaster General, but they have no association with the military. And he talks about having, <laughs> he talks about playing golf with the president and, you know, all these things that you know, the, three-star generals would yeah. do. Well, the Postmaster General is a pretty, like, high respectable position. I mean, it's the top position in one of the most important public services in America. So I think he'd be rubbing shoulders with top politicians and business leaders. So that doesn't seem too unrealistic. Um, oh, actually, sorry. He, yeah, he has golf with the Secretary of State, Secretary of which State is like, Excellent. yeah, which is like the third in line for the presidency, I think, after the vice president. But yeah, um, yeah still rubbing shoulders with the elite for sure. He, he kind of reminded me a bit. Maybe it's just because he's like, he's just got like a, a natural kind of confidence and authority about him. He reminded me very slightly of, um, of Earl Hafler. Oh, yeah, Earl, Earl Hassler, the Texan. Yeah, that's right. Just just similar, something something about him kind of reminded me of, of, uh, of Earl. Well, it's funny how he mentions that he um, he's the one that delivers the Pottery Barn <laughs> catalogs. <laughs> Isn't it funny? Like, because, you know, you think he's the big postmaster general and he doesn't go on routes to deliver stuff, but it turns out that it's his job to do the Pottery Barn catalogs. Does he say that? Oh, no, he says, I, I, I think, he, or at least he, he helps coordinate them or something because because um, they talk about um, the, the mail that uh, Kramer's been getting. I mean, Kramer's, you know, he says he gets all these catalogs, you know, and isn't it annoying how someone, isn't it strange how someone, you know, walks over to your house and drops catalogs off and Kramer starts laughing and then he goes, oh, that's my job. I, I think he probably means it's his job to coordinate the catalogs. I think he just means it's his job to make sure the mail gets delivered in general. Like it's ultimately the buck stops with him. Yeah, I think that's yeah, what that's, he's talking about. I, don't think I, I was going to say, I don't think he'd be paving, he'd be, um, you know, he'd be walking to drop freaking catalogs off. Well, he's in Washington, D.C. Yeah, that's right. I'm, that's, he says he comes down from D.C. So he's not, yeah, he's not doing any routes. No, I, mean, I think he just means thing. ultimately, yeah, it's his, ultimately he's the one who is responsible for making sure everyone's mail across the country gets delivered because he's the, he's the top dog that's that's how i interpreted it and i love how the, they make the usps out to be like some you know this government you know how there's like the cia like guys to get kramer i love how it's like this kind of cartel <laughs> where mail just gets yeah it's like it's like it's your consent regardless yeah it's like it's like a uh, intelligence organization you know they they black bag you or in this case they bucket you uh you know they interrogate you there's like there's just sort of like men walking around in suits that are kind of like fbi agents they're, they're like a mysterious intelligence organization not just a boring bureaucracy that delivers letters and bills to people and have three-hour breaks like newman says <laughs> why don't you go and take your three-hour break yes i'll take over from here how good is it when newman goes into the interrogation room and he's wearing the bucket how good's his wheezing yeah, yeah yeah and then he and then kramer pulls the bucket up and he's like make sure people remember me make sure people tell my story yeah, that's right. Tell my story. And he's actually wheezing under the bucket before he gets interrogated. Yeah. I love that. He always wheezes. Yeah, he keeps doing it. It's so fun. Yeah, but no, I really liked uh, Henry Atkins, Henry Atkins, I should say, and uh, Wilford Brimley's uh, portrayal of him. Really, really good. Yeah, definitely easily the best secondary character in the episode. Yeah, for sure. We'll take a quick break. And uh, after that, we'll talk about where, and if any of the secondary characters appear in our top 20 and uh, where the episode appears in episodes we've reviewed so far. Yeah, yeah. So I told him, hit the road. I'm going back with Jack. <laughs> <laughs> Elaine, that's the second good piece of news I've gotten today. Really? What was the first? They're bringing me back. <laughs> yeah, I'm the Wiz again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the Wiz! I'm the Wiz! <laughs> 
So Stephen, out of 127 episodes we have recorded so far, where does the junk mail sit for you? This sits at number 127. Whoa, the worst episode we've ever done, huh? Yeah, I did not like this episode at all, except a couple of lines here and there. But I just thought most of it was poor quality writing, really shit secondary characters, not many good jokes. It just felt, the whole thing just felt off. Yeah. What about you? Um, For me, I had a few more chuckles than you, uh, number 101. Like, okay. I, I, I liked, I, I thought that, like, I, I laughed a few times in this episode, but not really at Elaine and Jerry's subplots, but I liked the idea of the USPS, like we mentioned before, being like this whole intelligence agency, and, you know, they clamp down on people who don't want mail and stuff. I thought that was pretty, it was really wacky, but it, it was funny. And I, I, I didn't mind George's subplot. I love how his cousin idea backfired on him, like it normally does. Um, yeah, it was just, I don't mm-hmm. know, it was just satisfying. Um, but yeah, definitely one of, not one of the best Seinfeld episodes, but certainly probably, yeah... I mean, it's pretty forgettable, and I can see why I don't remember the episode. But yeah, the whiz, the whiz really annoyed me too. But I really liked uh, Henry Atkins. Yeah, he was the one saving grace for me. Yeah, I can see why people hang shit on the whiz whenever you go on, you know, your page, Seinfeldisms on Facebook, and a few others. Sometimes people, you know, really say that the whiz is probably the worst character ever on the show. Yeah, she'd be. Yeah, he'd be right up there for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so hundred and one. Okay, and uh, obviously none of the secondary characters appear in your top twenty. Actually, Henry Atkins, I liked him a lot. Uh, number nine. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, so he just sneaks in the top 20. So the person who gets eliminated from my top 20 is Karen, a.k.a. Miss Rhode Island from The Chaperone. Oh, okay, right. So now I liked Henry Atkins. I liked him a lot, but not enough to appear uh, in my list of top secondary characters, probably because he's not in enough. Like, I'd need to see a few more scenes uh, or a few more episodes with him in it to really judge whether I like him overall. But in the one part that he is in, I did like him a lot. I describe him as the Christmas card with $20 that your grandmother sent you amongst all the junk mail in the letterbox. Yeah, <laughs> a mild highlight in a load of crap. Yes, absolutely. That was the junk mail and another episode of Bidwell Basks. Thank you so much for listening. We do appreciate it. And you can find us anywhere on social media. Well, mostly Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Reddit at B-I-D-W-B-A-S-C. You can send us an email, bidwellbaskpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, we have Patreon, Steve. That's right, patreon.com forward slash bidwellbask. From now until June 1st, all of our content is free. So sign up to check it all out. After June 1st, you will be charged for whatever tier you've signed up for. And some of the upcoming material we've got is a review for the uh, soon-to-be-released, as of tomorrow, actually, as of recording, Jerry Seinfeld comedy special on Netflix, 23 Hours to Kill, as well as a couple of movie reviews. And uh, later in the month or earlier in June, depending on how it goes, uh, we'll be releasing uh, season 11 of or our, our fictional season 11 of Seinfeld. That's right, yes. Yeah, so plenty to look forward to, and that is all free until June 1st. Like Stephen said, patreon.com forward slash B-I-D-W-B-A-S-C. Anyway, buddy, we're going to go from season nine next week to season five. We're talking about The Stand-In, a very prominent Mickey Abbott episode. Yeah, no, I like this episode. I watched it normally uh, when we're prepping for an episode. I watch it like after we finish recording, you know, the next day is when I start watching the next episode. But I watched this one last week and yeah, good episode. Yeah, very good. Looking forward to that one and the uh, very <laughs> small and large secondary characters in that one. Yeah, no, lots of uh, lots. A variety there. Indeed. My name's Ivan. I'm Stephen. And we'll see you next week. Take care.